0: This is episode number 24 of the Individual One podcast. For the record, Individual Number One is President Donald J. Trump. And I am your host, John Ziegler. We are broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the bi-weekly program which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a conservative perspective, Because let's face it, no one else is willing or able to do so. The liberals, the conservatives, the media is totally broken. They're compromised. They're co-opted. We, however, at the Individual One Podcast are most definitely not co-opted. Welcome to the program. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Individual One Pod. That's Individual, the number one pod. We've got lots to get to in this edition of the Individual One podcast as the aftermath of the Mueller report continues to reverberate and calls for Trump's impeachment grow. I wanna begin this episode with a really great interview with a really interesting guy and a great guest. His name is Tom Nichols. Tom Nichols is a conservative. He's a professor at the United States Naval War College. He's an author, a book in particular that you should check out is The Death of Expertise. He's an expert on Russia and national security issues. And he joins us now. Tom, welcome back to the podcast.
1: It's great to be with you again, John.
0: Tom, so much to talk about uh, post Mueller report, but I do want to ask you about something that happened today, uh, which uh, seemingly always happens with this president, where he has tweeted something that a lot of people, these rational people, think is pretty nuts. Uh, to quote the president he said former cia analyst and he's quoting one american news network which is not a reputable or
1: uh, of course he is
0: <laughs> right well, one, one american news network is not even shouldn't be called a news network i've been there several times it's basically a, a small office in a strip mall outside of san diego but he's he's quoting one american news that uh, former CIA analyst Larry Johnson accuses United Kingdom intelligence of helping Obama administration spy on the 2016 Trump presidential campaign, unquote. And then Trump writes, wow, exclamation point. It is now just a question of time before the truth comes out. And when it does, it will be a beauty, exclamation point. Tom, what's your reaction
1: to that? <laughs> well, two things. First, always a reminder to everybody that I don't represent the Naval War College or the Navy or the government. These are my own views. The second thing is, uh, you know, wow, he's absolutely right that the truth will come out sooner or later, but I don't think it's going to be in the way he expects. Uh, this is this is not the kind of thing that people who feel like they have nothing to hide and they've been totally vindicated start uh, pushing on social media. Uh, you know, the, I think the UK has already denied this, uh, but you know, as you say, one American news, well, if you, as I always tell my students, no matter what you believe, there's somebody on the internet who will tell you that it's true. So I guess this is going to be the new tack of, uh, you know, Obama was spying on the campaign. But I, I think it's just ridiculous. Uh,
0: you referenced the the UK response from the intelligence agencies there. This is almost a direct, not a quite, but almost a direct quote in their response. It's just flat out ridiculous. And that's almost directly what they said. <laughs> um, and, uh, and to me, let's go to the bigger picture here, Tom, because... Trump continues to try to, and probably successfully so, fool his cult into believing that this spying charge is legitimate uh, when there's no evidence for this, right? I mean, give, give us a sense of the evidence behind, or even, by the way, whether it would be make any damn sense for there have been to have been spying on the trump campaign by either uk intelligence or by the obama administration and by the way for no one to ever reveal any information from that spying before trump was elected which makes no damn sense what what is your evaluation of that
1: well you know it's interesting george orwell coined the term double think which is holding two contradictory ideas in your head at the same time and that is very much what this group of people manages to do on the one hand, they say, "Well, the Russians were attacking us, and Obama did nothing and then on the other hand, oh my God, the, the Obama administration had this massive intelligence network that was you know spying on everyone. The, the truth in the middle, it seems to me at least from the Mueller report and from uh, you know, the other sources that, that everybody's been following for the past year, is that the Obama administration, during the Obama administration, the intelligence and law enforcement services got wind of Russian uh, activity around the election, and they started to investigate it. And that meant investigating uh, people that were associated with the campaign. That's what that's what they're paid to do. That's what they're supposed to do. I think what's interesting about the the approach that the president's taking now is um, after claiming that he was the victim of a conspiracy, he's now going to create an even larger conspiracy to explain away all the bad stuff that's now coming or coming out. And I think, as you say, you know, people believe this without any evidence um, because they want to. Because they, I would even say it's more than wanting to. They need to. Um, they just can't, you know, they can't accept what's in front of them. And like good conspiracy theorists that they are, they have to invent a very complicated explanation that sort of waves away the simpler explanation in front of them. But I I think we're going to see a lot more of this um, in the coming weeks.
0: As an anti-conspiracy person myself, because I don't think human beings are smart or competent enough to pull off uh, large conspiracies, one of the things that I always look at is, okay, if something was true, what else would be true along with it? And if any of this was remotely true, as president of the United States, Tom, would not Donald Trump have access to far more credible information and better sources than provided than by... One la-
1: America News.
0: Than One America News and Larry Johnson. Is that not a fact?
1: You know, if all of this stuff were true, the president could really, you know, uh, rock the deep state if he wanted to by saying, I'm declassifying all this stuff and I'm firing people and I'm, you know, uh, having all this stuff put into the public domain. And, you know, instead of, instead of grazing... Uh, you know, the Springfield shopper for tidbits in the classified column. <laughs> and there are a lot of things that, that, as the president of the United States, you can do and that you can order. And if this stuff were true, he would know it. He would be able to find it out. He would be able to release it uh, at will. He certainly doesn't seem to have any compunction about declassifying stuff. Um, and so, I, I, you know, this is when the president of the United States has to rely on one American news for a story that he then tweets out. This tells you, I think, not only how isolated he's become, but how desperate he's become.
0: And taking this the spying charge, which again I believe to be total bullcrap, and a, and a, and a diversion and a distraction for the cult. One of the things that finally started to get reasonable people suspicious of Bill Barr, the attorney general of the United States, and whether or not he was being straight up about what the Mueller report really said, was when he effectively uh, tipped his cap to the spying allegation during his testimony to Congress. Give me your sense, Tom. Did, did you buy the the four-page summary uh, right away? Or did you? were you suspicious? Or take me through Tom Nichols' evaluation of Bill Barr's handling of the Mueller report.
1: Well, I, I wrote a piece about it in USA Today, in fact, and I said, look, uh, there's no way this isn't a win for the president on the purely legal issue. You know, you have to just come... When the Barr summary came out, I, I said, there is no criminal ref- referral here. There's no... Um, you know, uh, attempt to indict, none of that stuff. Um, you know, the Mueller team said we don't have enough evidence to charge this. And I said, people should hold their fire uh, because saying you don't have enough evidence isn't the same thing as, you know, clearing the president. What, what became clear within about 48 hours is that what Barr was doing was trying to frame uh, the question, frame the issue to head off the public reaction. He knows that the people that Trump wants to convince are, you know, pretty simple, uh, um, straightforward. They will take the top line. They're not going to read anything more. And he said, no collusion, no conviction, no conspiracy. And everybody said, OK, now I'm done. Well, that's coming apart. And I think um, one casualty in all this is whatever's left of William Barr's reputation. Liberals were never fond of him, but conservatives thought very highly of him. And now he's just another guy, as I, as I wrote a couple of uh, days ago, about a week ago, he's just another guy who's thrown his reputation on the bonfire of this administration. Uh, because what he said was true, but it was misleading. It was disingenuous. And for him to use the term spying, he's the attorney general. He's been the attorney general before. He knows better than this. I think one of the things that's really infuriating about a lot of people around the administration is they say things that... I'm sure makes sense to the Trump base, but for anybody who's ever worked in Washington, ever dealt with any of this stuff, the the thought that runs through your head immediately is, you know better than this. You know that what you're saying is wrong. And I'm sure that Attorney General Barr knew that using the word spying was a loaded term when in fact he in the Justice Department, I'm sure as everybody else who's worked in law enforcement or the intelligence community would call it, would refer to an investigation or an inquiry uh, and for him to use spying, that was a that was a red flag right there. Tom,
0: you, you indicated that you thought Barr told the truth, but he shaded things in Trump's direction. That was my first take. I don't longer even believe that, because there were things that Barr said that were flat out untrue about what the Mueller report said, specifically with regard to Mueller's thinking on why he could not indict the president. He he claimed uh, immediately that this was not about the de- Department of Justice policy that a sitting president uh, cannot be indicted that was key because to people who really uh, are experts in this they said oh well then that means that that Mueller decided this purely on the merits but that's not accurate is it
1: right uh, first I'll say there are pe- there are Beatles people and there are Elvis people and when it comes to the Mueller report, there's volume one people and volume two people. Right. I'm a volume one guy because right. my beat is Russia and right. my specialization is, is Russia. So I don't have the the depth or the expertise to make that judgment about volume two. As an outside observer, I, I agree with you. It looks to me like Barr came out, said, this is what volume two says. And when we actually got a look at it, it said the exact opposite of that.
0: Right. Okay. Um,
1: that's, but, that's... you know, I think that's Barr... You know, Bars being a lawyer and a political appointee saying, well, that's my interpretation of what it says. But, you know, as is always the case when dealing with anything revolving around the president, we all end up arguing over the basic meaning of words. Yeah. You know, we we all made fun of Bill Clinton for talking about what the definition of is is. That seems like a moment of clarity compared to the <laughs> gaslighting right. and and mendaciousness of what we're dealing with now.
0: I agree with that. All right. So you're a volume one guy, so let's talk about volume one then. And for those who who aren't that that familiar. Volume one basically deals with the quote-unquote collusion or whether or not there was a conspiracy with Russia. Volume two is about obstruction of justice. And I'm fascinated to get your take on this, Tom, because I I have never believed in the full-on collusion theory, the Manchurian candidate theory. Um, I, I never thought they would be able to prove it because trying to prove something like this is exceedingly difficult, especially for a guy like Trump who doesn't even use email Uh, But I have to tell you, um, contrary to to public perception and what Bill Barr and Donald Trump want people to believe, when I read volume one, I believe more in some semblance of a collusion theory today than I did before the Mueller report came out. Do you see that as rational?
1: Yeah. um, And, uh, you know, I would direct people to a piece I wrote last summer in Politico where I I talked about Jonathan Chase who I think got a lot of things right, but then, like a lot of people on the left, went way out on a limb, um, you know, trying to prove that Donald Trump was a Russian agent and all of that stuff. And I think that uh, the Democratic Party and uh, people on the left really screwed up expectations about the Mueller report. because I, I always thought it was going to be bad. And I thought it was going to be this bad. And in fact, it's even worse than I thought it was going to be. But I was always trying to tamp down the you know, Manchurian candidate, red president talk. Because first of all, I don't think it's true. Uh, but second, because as you say, these are you know fairly people like Paul Manafort. These are fairly cagey people. They don't just write down contracts with the Russian government to influence an election. I think it's also important to note that no matter what Volume One was going to say, Barr was excuse me, uh, Mueller was always having to answer a very specific question about a very specific kind of behavior with a very specific regard to the 2016 election. That doesn't answer questions about whether, and, and Mueller, to his credit, has answered them about whether the campaign was receptive to this, whether they thought it was a good idea, whether they were working on parallel tracks. So yeah, I mean, my answer to this is um, there was plenty of collusion. There just wasn't any conspiracy in a legal sense. And I still think it doesn't answer the question about the degree to which the president is compromised uh, in his dealings with Russia by 30 years of doing business with, you know, shady Russians. So, I mean, you, you know, can't spend 30 years of your life exchanging millions of dollars with guys in the shadows in Russia and then say, but it had no effect on me and it, it hasn't, you know, it has no uh, bearing on me. It, it does. That's That's why people who undergo security clearance checks have to answer questions like that. So I think the Mueller I, – I agree with you. I think the Mueller report actually makes a more damning case for collusion, even if it ends the discussion about a legal charge of conspiracy.
0: And something you said there, though, many things you said there are important, but one I want <clears throat> to I want to amplify is just how incredibly narrow Mueller viewed his job to be. Uh, essentially, I mean, I'm not – correct me if I'm wrong, but the way I interpret this is, because there's not a signed contract between the Trump campaign and Russia, then anything short of that would not prove a criminal conspiracy with the Russian government. Now if that was if we if we always knew that that was the case, then then none of this should be a surprise. and frankly, Based upon the level of obstruction of justice, which included the destroying of evidence, the taking of the Fifth Amendment, the president not doing an interview, saying 37 times that he doesn't recall key events, how in the world could you possibly prove a conspiracy under these circumstances? Is that, is, is that accurate?
1: I think, I think it's amazing how much Mueller was able to tell us, given how narrow his remit was. Now, with that said, remember, in the original assignment from DOJ, it was basically any and all questions that might end up relating to this issue. So in that sense, Mueller had a broader field to play on. Yes, in terms of criminal charges, you know, the idea of proving a conspiracy, that was always, as you said a moment ago, that was going to be hard. Because without a you know a handshake or a contract or a quid pro quo, I said almost two years ago on CNN, I said something to the effect of, if people are waiting for a video of the Russian ambassador dropping off a bag of money in front of the White House, they're going to be disappointed. I mean, I was trying to tamp down that expectation right from the beginning of this business back in um, when it first started. With that said, Mueller told us a lot of things. And, and I think the most important thing he told us is, that the trump campaign and the president himself the president the candidate at the time knew that the russians were trying to do this and they thought it was awesome that's a really mind-blowing finding that you know an american a major american political campaign knew that the russians were trying to put their finger on the scale and instead of saying you know jesus christ we'd better call the fbi their answer was this is great how can we make this work uh, you know, without ending up in jail, and I and I just that's why to me Volume One is just a nightmare. I mean, it's it, in that sense it is worse uh, than we thought because you, you really wanted to see more evidence of people saying, "Wait a minute, you know, this is even even Nixon in the old tapes." If you remember, there's a moment when Nixon's talking about payoffs, and for the sake of the recording, he says, "But of course, it would be wrong." <laughs> you know? well, but but there's of course, not even a person here saying, "Hey, you know, this is really kind of a shady business," and. This is very unpatriotic and anti-American. Instead, it's like, awesome. This is great. You know, how do we make this? If it's what you say, I love it. You know, how do we make this work? I also love the fact that that one of the reasons nobody got charged is that Mueller makes it clear that in at least one case, he thinks people were just too stupid to understand um, that they're breaking the law.
0: Donald Trump Jr., and as far as... Uh, They're not being anything wrong with this. They're still saying that. Rudy Giuliani, this was him just the other day.
1: That doesn't wrong with taking Rudy information Giuliani's from Russians. Are, they, That really, I mean, Giuliani's, Giuliani's comments about accepting help from the Russians has to be one of the saddest ends to a career, one of the most pathetic and appalling flameouts uh, of a man that was once considered a hero not so long ago uh, during 9 11. And I mean, aside from the appalling sentiments, that he, about, you know, accepting help from Russia. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's unpatriotic, it's un-American, and, and it's just, I mean, I use the president's favorite word, it's just sad.
0: Well, just just so people got a chance to hear it, hear, hear that as again. There's
1: nothing wrong with taking information from Russians. <laughs> <laughs> good God. <laughs> but by the way, just, good God, you know, how do you, how, do you, how do you sit there on national television as a former federal prosecutor and say, hey, there's nothing wrong with taking information from the Russians? Depends on what it was. Uh, No, everybody would have taken that meeting. We all do it. That that is there is something very weird in the Trump circle of kind of these old guys who are getting on the train for, you know, one last hurrah and are willing to just uh, throw everything to the wind for one more, you know, moment of proximity to the throne. I mean, it's really power is a drug.
0: Power is a drug. Fame is a drug. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think that's what happened with Bill Barr. Bill Barr was on the couch in his underwear for too long, and in one one last bite of the apple, and Rudy the same way. Uh, and 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 by the way, and, and to, I, I don't think we can underestimate here the reaction, the Trump team's reaction to the report Trump not accepting the most primary finding which is that Russia did in fact try to influence the election on his behalf doing nothing about stopping it in 2020 Rudy saying there's nothing wrong with it by the way let's make clear one of the thing that's one of the many things that is wrong with it is that when you accept that kind of help to get elected that makes you inherently compromised by a foreign adversary Um, of course and I I
1: mean that you know there's all kinds of logical um, conclusions that come out of this, and when you don't accept... I mean, you know, the President still where he was at Helsinki, saying, okay, I have all this proof, I have all these people, I have Robert Mueller, the FBI, you know, the CIA, all the intelligence agencies, and in the end, I still believe Vladimir Putin. Well, you know, some of us are drawing assumptions from that. right? And I think rightly so. Yeah. Your point, I wanted to go back to your point about, you know, I, I don't... I think Rudy has put himself out there enough that we can reach a judgment about About Rudy, I I don't know that I would say that about Barr, but I think one thing that's happening is there are a lot of old Republicans who realize that Trump is toxic and is, you know, he's the Titanic post iceberg. But they've also decided that if Trump goes down, that some kind of left wing apocalypse will come. And so that they have to that they're I think they're talking themselves into the notion that they have to save the country from the leftists and the only way to do that is to save Donald Trump. I think that's I think that's a fallacy. I think it's self-serving. I think it's a, a massive rationalization. But I do think that there are a lot of people who have basically said, "Okay, I was wrong about Trump. He really is that awful, but if I don't protect and defend Donald Trump, then, you know, there's going to be Sharia law and abortion carnivals and um, you know, FEMA camps and gulags or whatever." And I, and I think that may be part of why you're seeing So many older Republicans willing to just um, throw their reputations away at the end of their careers because they've really talked themselves into that.
0: I agree that that rationalization is very prevalent. It's very enticing. It's also uh, not accurate. However, Democrats are doing their best to play right into that. uh, Well, and
1: and I'm glad you went there, John, (laughs) because you know that's uh, every time you say that's not going to happen. Um, there's always somebody in the Democratic Party that says, no, no, that really is what's going to happen. We're totally all about that. Right. Then, of course, it's not going to happen. But uh,
0: well, we'll see. But let let, let me go back, though, to the point I was making previously about the Trump team reaction. I want to add Jared Kushner into that, who is, uh, is now saying that basically all Russia did was buy a few Facebook ads, which is flat out not true. Uh, he's a guy who's, who's lucky he didn't get indicted in all this. And so the, the reaction to this is almost as bad as what we actually see in the Mueller report. Uh, you you want to comment on that, Tom?
1: Well, you know, um, Jared Kushner was easier to like when he wouldn't say anything. <laughs> uh, and, I mean, for Jared Kushner, who, who has it's already been outed that, you know, there was nobody uh, in charge of clearances who thought this guy ought to be getting a security clearance. Um, you know, and having to have his father-in-law overrule the intelligence community to give him access to highly classified information is now walking around saying, well, it's just a few Facebook posts. I mean, that's pretty gutsy stuff, Yeah. Um, right. you know, uh, and, I, and I think that that eventually um, could come back to, to haunt them. On the other hand, you know, give them credit, John. They know they're Yes. Um, right now there are millions of people saying, see, the president's son-in-law said, just a couple of Facebook posts. Nobody didn't really matter. Uh, they they understand that their base always repeats the last thing they heard uh, from someone in the White House, and and they'll get away with it. So in that sense, you know, Kushner's many things, but he's not dumb. Um, I love arrogant, the poorly but he's not stupid. <laughs>
0: No, but Trump does love his base. I love the poorly educated. Okay, um, so uh, I, I want to talk a little bit more about Mueller and his intent and his, the way he handled this. Uh, you, and me, you and I may disagree on this, but um, not only did he view his job incredibly narrowly, especially with regard to the issue of conspiracy, but uh, this is the case in both Volume 1 and Volume 2, in my opinion, He gave Donald Trump every possible benefit of the doubt. He had a burden of proof, especially on obstruction, that I thought was absurdly high. And in fact, the idea that this was a witch hunt is not only false, it's 180 degrees from the truth, and I wonder whether or not the witch hunt talk actually maybe subconsciously uh, forced Mueller to even be more fair than he would normally be because he was somewhat fearful of of, of being portrayed as being on some sort of a witch hunt. What do you make of, of my assessment there?
1: I, I don't want to try and get into Robert Mueller's head. Um, I don't think that's fair to the director, and I, I, don't, I, I don't have enough evidence to make that judgment. I, I take your point about, you know, this administration really likes to work the refs. Um, I don't think that's what happened. My guess, if I, I mean, judging from Director Mueller's career, is that Robert Mueller is a small C conservative. That he doesn't think it's his job as a lawyer and an investigator to be the one guy who basically takes down a president. So he assembles all this stuff. He leaves all the breadcrumbs there. He puts all the supporting material. He hands a roadmap, not only of the. You know, he makes it very clear that the Russians attacked this country. The president has done nothing about it. That as a candidate, he welcomed it. And then in volume two, he says, and at every turn, you know, he obstructed. He he told people to lie. He tried to get people to do his bidding. And he's handing all of that and giving it to the political realm and saying, it's not my job to take out the president, but here is everything you need to reach a decision about whether Within yeah. our constitutional framework, you want to do that.
0: And, and, and Tom, I get all that, and, and, and part of me really respects Mueller for being by the book, not overplaying his hand, being incredibly small seed conservative, as you say. In a, in a rational world, that would be the right way to go, and that would be effective. And it's funny, one of the reasons I asked you on this week is because so often I think of your book, The Death of Expertise. And uh, because if we lived in a, in a world, I mean, maybe it never really existed, but the world that we used to think existed, what Mueller did, in my view, if you look at this in the big picture, is that he wrote this report not for the masses. not The, the average person is not going to read this report. They're right. not, not going to understand it if he did. He wrote this for the experts. He wrote this for Congress. He wrote this for people like you who could look at this and go, holy moly. Here are the breadcrumbs, here's what really happened, and here's where we should go from here. And this guy should not be president of the United States. But we no longer live in that world because, first of all, the experts are divided totally by politics. Uh, You can find whatever media outlet you want to tell you whatever you want to hear. And no one, to your book, The Death of Expertise, no one believes the experts anymore. Everyone thinks they're their own expert.
1: And so— I'm going to dissent a little bit, John, and say I don't think the experts are that divided on it. I think the pundits are, for sure. Okay, I'm t- I'm, when I, um, say, when it, I say
0: experts, when I say experts, I mean perceived by the public. Perceived okay. experts, okay. yeah. That's
1: a, and, of course, and thank you for plugging the book. I appreciate it. But, you know, as I say in the book, that's part of a pro- part of the problem is that people think that the people they see on television are experts. And that quite yeah. often they're not. <laughs> that's they're just true. people that are on television. Right. Um, I think this is a case. You don't see a lot of people other than Alan Dershowitz, you know. And I'll, we'll just leave that right there. Um, <laughs> oh, You not see a lot of people other than guys like Alan Dershowitz going on television saying, "Oh, the president. This isn't. You know, this isn't misconduct. It's not impeachable. It's not uh, obstruction." I mean, you know, the the, law, the legal community doesn't seem to have, you know, seem to be tearing itself apart over the Mueller report. And I actually think, in this sense, the Mueller report is going to end up being, in some ways, a lot more durable and long-lasting precisely because Mueller said, this is not a job that I will arrogate for myself. Look at the, look at the right. way people are reacting to Barr right. saying, I made a judgment that this is not obstruction. And you know, but, that's back. I think but, that's but blowing Tom, up in his face. But I really Tom, do.
0: but it's blowing up in his face among the, the elite, among the people you respect, among the people who have a clue. That's not the public.
1: So, I I, I, to me, you're not even (laughs) you. With all due respect, okay, I I take your point, John, but I also think you know at some point we have to leave something for the next generation. We can't. I don't think Mueller should have written this to try to convince. First of all, the Trump base, Mueller could have produced a videotape of the president speaking fluent Russian, you know, and the Trump base would have said, "I just don't believe it," because they're. I really think they are just too far gone, and we cannot have. Rational discussions with that group of people.
0: I agree. Uh, I, Tom, you and I battle with them on Twitter all the time. They are not rational people, but they're also only, who knows what the percentage is, they're only 20, 25 percent, which is huge, but it's it's not it's not the entire population. And well, they're so, just,
1: but they're, and here's the thing, John, and I think this is where the president's strategy starts to make sense. They're, they're only, I'd say, you know, I think it's more than 25 percent. I think it's more like 35 or 40 percent of the people who seem to have just made up their minds. But you're right. There's a, I think there is a group of people in there whose minds you know, can be changed from voting for Trump to either voting third party or changing over to the Democrats. But I think the president's strategy here is to rec- is that he recognizes that that group of his base is distributed very efficiently throughout the Electoral College. And I think his plan is to survive all of this and to be reelected as another minority president. And I'll even go further and say I think the Republican Party's goal now is to prolong minority rule as long as possible, to survive as long as possible, um, gaining disproportionate political power as a national minority.
0: I agree with uh, all that. I agree with all that. But I agree with all of that, Tom. But let's go back to to Mueller for for just a second here, because... um, all right, look, I'm no fan of Ken Starr. But when you compare what Mueller did with the Mueller report to what Ken Starr did, I mean, Ken Starr was on a witch hunt in comparison to, to Robert Mueller.
1: Yeah, I think what Ken Starr did was wrong.
0: Okay, but well I'm not I don't want to get into because I think Clinton should have been impeached and, and removed for having committed perjury and obstruction of I, justice.
1: I, I agree uh, I, I we're agreeing and disagreeing. I think what Ken Starr was, did was wrong, but I think Clinton should have been impeached. Okay, as well, f- fair,
0: fair enough. But what my point is is, and, and I'm not using Ken Starr as the as the ultimate standard, but Mueller for a guy who was accused constantly by the president of the United States publicly of being on a witch hunt was on the opposite of a witch hunt, whether for right or for wrong, whether that was the proper way to do it or not. In a, in a rational world, it was the proper way. But what I'm saying is that's naive based upon the world we live in, because the masses are not going to get this. And therefore, no Republicans in the Senate are going to get this. Romney got it a little bit and got crushed over it. So, so there is no hope for this to influence, well, let me turn the
1: question back to you, John, and say, okay, uh, even if I take your point, what, is, what was Mueller supposed to do? He, here's, he what think, write, here's what I think. here's what I think Mueller can't should write done. a report for, you know, the forty uh, no, percent, no, no. and say, no, 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 no. I know you're too stupid to read now, this. So,
0: <laughs> well, you ask a good question, and I'll answer it.
1: And okay. I thought, I've thought
0: a lot about this. I, I think there's several things that Mueller could have done, but if there was one thing I wish he would have done is I think he should have issued the report with the headline, this is incomplete. I was not allowed to get to the bottom of this because the obstruction was too much. And therefore, any conclusions on collusion or conspiracy are not legitimate. I cannot assess it because Jeff Sessions got fired the day after the midterm elections. And I started to shut down my investigation immediately because I knew I was on the clock and that Congress must take this up because I am no longer in a position to do so. That's That's the headline.
1: I, that's interesting, and I wonder if that's something uh, that, that, and, you know, this is another question that's come up because none of this is over. I mean, you know, Lindsey Graham is already saying, time to move on. No, it's not time to move on. This is, not a, you know, this is one of the most serious crises of government, you know, the, that we've had. So I think this is bigger than Watergate, clearly. Um, and by the way, so Lindsey Graham, a just, 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 ask just, Robert or, Mueller, you know, the Congress. I mean, you know, Robert Mueller's still out there. I mean, I suppose Congress could ask that question. But I I, I think that's an interesting um, approach to set, because I think this notion that, well, I was not hindered, I mean, that was Barr's argument that, you know, he wasn't hindered in any way. Well, if you can't talk to the president, or the president says, I don't remember nearly 40 times, then yeah, you know, you do have an incomplete picture. And the other thing that you made me think of while you were saying that is, we don't know what's in the counterintelligence section of it. Right. That's been redacted. I mean, that's for obvious, <clears throat> you know, intelligence reasons. That's been redacted. And I think, um, you know, that's that's going to be a pretty hair curling part of it as well.
0: So to me, that you know, Mueller should have understood the way headlines work and that we're mm-hmm. a headline nation and substance doesn't matter to your... To your book, The Death of Expertise. Facts don't matter. Truth doesn't matter. Expertise doesn't matter. What can you fit in a tweet? What can you fit in a headline? And the headline should have been I wasn't allowed to finish my investigation. Here's what I found so far. Congress, do what you will with this. That's what it should have been. Instead of I'm sorry. I I think that
1: comes out of the report.
0: Right. But but that's not the message. That's not the message the masses are getting. That's not even the message that the media is getting. The media, the media is such a bunch of morons, and you know they're 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 trying to you know take little segments out of it that they they can cobble together a new news story, and it's well, that's... Let's,
1: but let's point you know this is another time to raise another good point, which is the media in part because you know it's tough to be, the media is not full of counterintelligence experts, not full mm-hmm. of Russia experts, not full of obstruction mm-hmm. experts, so you know they're they're getting firehosed everything, but also the media now has been wrong footed by uh, a lot of folks in the Trump orbit saying, you didn't get this story right, and, and picking out – and because, of course, the media, in an incredibly complicated uh, leak-proof investigation, that, I think that's another thing we can say to Robert Mueller's credit. This investigation did not leak, um, that, you know, they made mistakes. They got the basic story right, mm-hmm. but they're now already on the defensive about what did we get wrong. Well, right. that's the expectations um, that's, that's issue. That's a really clever strategy.
0: That's the expectations issue that you talked about. I've written about it extensively. I wrote about it months ago saying Trump won the expectations game. Timing and expectations are everything in life. And Trump delayed the timing on this, like a manipulative expert that he is, and he won the expectations game because his enemies went too far. And frankly, uh, I think that Trump correctly and smartly set the field goal at, you know, proving collusion, which he always knew was going to be next to impossible.
1: John Dickerson uh, from CBS had a great tweet about this the other day. He said, you would have to change planes to cover the distance from where uh, Team Trump started on this question to where they finally ended up. They started with (laughs) no contact, nothing ever happened. This is all a hoax on a fantasy and illusion to this Specific charge was not criminally provable.
0: Right. Well,
1: I mean, that is a remarkable. Um, that is a continent's worth of distance,
0: and they're still to, to and, they're, and they're still lying about what Mueller said. Mueller did. That, the idea yeah. that Mueller found no collusion is a lie. He found no evidence of a criminal conspiracy with the government of Russia. By the way, that doesn't even, to, to me, he. Uh, to, this goes to the issue of him giving Trump every benefit of the doubt. It appears to me as if he viewed WikiLeaks as completely and totally separate from the government of Russia, which is... Well, but that, uh,
1: and you know, the, this is, as a Russia guy, this, this was something that's frustrated the hell out of me because he makes it clear that Russia is you know, the WikiLeaks puppeteer. But but if he wants to go ahead and charge that, he's going to have to, like, go into a whole separate investigation to prove. He'd have to go into their financing. You know, I've been saying for years, I wrote a piece years ago saying that this was a front for the Russians. I mean, when, when Snowden shows up in Russia and, and a lawyer from WikiLeaks shows up in Russia the next day, you None of this is, anybody who travels to Russia, deals with knows. none of this is normal. You don't just, like, show up in Russia. You don't just say, oh, I'm packing tonight in London, and I have to go to Russia in the morning to, you know, do legal representation. But I think, I think Mueller wisely avoided a food fight that would have had to be redacted and classified anyway in order to make that case. Uh, and so, again, I think you know, he, he went for the thing that he was told to investigate. I think what he found was incredibly damaging, incredibly concerning. And even if Congress doesn't decide that the president needs to be removed, I think now Mueller can say, look, if you decide to keep the president in place, at least you know all these things now. You, you're not going into it. Um, you know there there can't be any more pretending mm-hmm. about what's true. And uh, by the way, I'll, speaking of lying, I just want to point out a couple of years back, I said, you know. Sarah Sanders is actually pretty good at her job. She was better than Sean Spicer. And what I meant by that is was not a compliment that she's really good at doing what she needs to do for this administration because she's one of the people who was caught lying right. and then the minute the report was released said, So what? I'll just double down. I didn't really lie. Right. It's kind of a lie. Doesn't really matter. I mean this is this is a remarkable amount of audacity right. for people that have been caught in, you know, straight-up lies. But that's right. going to be the way they're going to play it. And unfortunately, I think, as you just said, it's clever, it's smart, and it's going to be effective. All
0: right. Let's finish this, Tom, with uh, the, the big the big picture and where we go from here and the issue of impeachment. Now, I know you and I in the past have, have battled uh, very mildly on Twitter over over the issue of impeachment. We both have kind of nuanced view of it. So why don't you give uh, our listeners your view of, of where things should go with regard to impeachment in the House of Representatives?
1: Well, again, good time to say just my personal view, and I'm conflicted on it. I mean, I I was talking about this on um, with uh, Meghna party the other just yesterday, and she asked me this on the air, and I kind of hemmed and hawed because I was still making up my mind. Um, you know, I think impeachment. I think here I'll say this: Nancy Pelosi is right. Impeachment would be highly divisive. Um, people are going to hate it, no matter how it goes, um, and I and so. Primarily, I've been saying, you know, impeachment's a bad idea. It just improves the president's prospects for 2020. But the thing I've come to accept is um, political expediency is not a good reason to avoid the constitutional duty to, to proceed. If, there, if the members of Congress decide they have a constitutional duty, I think that's the key. If, if there are members of Congress who say, look... This is clearly high crimes and misdemeanors but i'm not going to do it because it's not politically expedient i don't think that's a good enough answer and i also think that probably the history books ought to record that you know that the Mueller report wasn't cost-free that it didn't the people just didn't weren't able to just walk away from it and i think in terms of 2020 just to make one point about politics uh, i think that that every member of the the republican senate and house should have to stand up and put their name on a vote to say, I, I don't think this is appropriate for impeachment, or I do think it's appropriate. I think they should have to declare. I don't think they should. Republican Senate has been allowed for years to run for the tall grass. You pointed out what happened to Romney. Romney poked his head up for one moment, and everybody, you know, opened fire on him, and that was the last we heard about that. I think every member of the Republican Senate in particular should have to step forward and say, this is what I think, either pro or con.
0: So you, it sounds like your position has basically evolved very much to where I have been for for quite so. for quite a while, which is basically, I agree. I, I think Trump wants to be impeached.
1: I think I, do, I think he's daring Congress to impeach him. At this uh, he, point.
0: He, he wants it because it will force the entire Republican Party to defend him. By the way, it'll it'll create great content. It's a drama. He's a reality TV show producer. That's the number one thing you need to understand about him. Oh, no. He knows knows he'll he'll survive. survive He knows he'll survive. So in the end of the day, he'll be able to declare victory. He'll be able to make Democrats look like they're unhinged, Trump derangement syndrome. I get all that. And there's a cost in that. I don't think that cost is as bad as a lot of people have forecast, because we also have to remember that people have made their minds up about Donald Trump, both good and bad. So the people that have made their minds up bad about him are not going to suddenly decide, you know what, The Congress has just been too mean to him by uh, voting to impeach, Uh, especially when they're going to see, hopefully, at least uh, some, of the evidence that that warrants his impeachment. And I think that that that's a vehicle for keeping this in the public eye, keeping the story alive. We might even find out more information. You put people under pressure, they might crack. I'm not suggesting that means his ultimate removal from office. It means we might get more of the truth out in, in all of this. But also to your point about history, it's not just, to me, the history books. I don't want Donald Trump. Let's say he—I don't even know he's going to lose. I think he's 50-50 for, for reelection. But the idea that even if he loses, that he'll go down in history as, as the same as George Herbert Walker Bush because he was just a simple one-term president? That, that, that's, yeah. that's insane to me. And then my final question on this is, if Donald Trump is not even impeached by a Democratic House that was elected— in a response to him, then impeachment ceases in the future to be a viable option, because if he can't be impeached for this by a Democratic House, who could be impeached
1: in the future, Tom? Who? How? Yeah, and and I think there's even a graver question than that, John. I think if, you know, it means not just that um, impeachment doesn't mean anything, it means the Constitution doesn't mean very much, it means elections don't mean very much, um, you know the Democrats all along have said, "Wait for the Mueller report. Let's see what's in it." And I think there was a lot of um, there was a lot of uh, cowardly behavior here all around because Republicans were hoping the Mueller report would totally clear the president and get them off the hook, and the Democrats were hoping it would totally condemn the president right. and just make it unavoidable so that they would have to do whatever they have to do. And Mueller you know, again, to his credit, didn't give anybody the simple answer. That's mm. what politics are for. That's what the constitutional and political processes are for. And I think if, if we just take it off the table because it's not politically expedient, then what we're really saying to future generations of America is everything's just a matter of politics and a, and a matter of expediency, and the only thing that matters is winning and losing. And I, I think sometimes there are battles that you fight that you lose uh, even though you know you're going to lose them, because uh, again, I think it's a you know, there's an issue here of responsibility to future generations of Americans and, and fidelity to the Constitution. But I, I, I think that's also something that the members of Congress have to decide. Um, you know, this is one reason I've always been loath to say this because I'm not a member of Congress. I don't, this isn't going to fall in my lap. It's easy for you or me to sit here and say, you know, impeach or don't impeach. Uh, but I think. I think now it has to be talked about like serious adults taking on the most serious question in the world and not just a question of who's up or who's down or what's expedient or or what's um, politically awkward. I think I think this has to be a a higher. We have to elevate this discussion to a much higher plane and, and think about who we are as a country.
0: Exceedingly well said, although maybe a little optimistic for for reality, but uh, much appreciated, Tom. Uh, Thanks so much for coming on the show, and uh, please keep in touch.
1: Always great to be with you, John. Take care.
0: Good to see that uh, Tom has had his position on impeachment evolve, much like my good friend Congressman John Yarmuth, the Democrat who actually does have a vote in this, who is the chairman of the Budget Committee, has had his opinion on impeachment evolve, uh, evolved. I don't know, uh, unlike John Yarmuth, I, I don't know that, or not that Tom was influenced by me at all, but uh, it is one of the the very rare accomplishments of my (laughs) incredibly mediocre career that Congressman Yarmouth has publicly stated that uh, I am a major part of the reason why he has now uh, been publicly in favor of impeachment should that process actually ever officially get started. Now, whether or not that will happen or not is an open question. I I guess I'm the ultimate contrarian. Uh, I have been someone who has been predicting since very early on in Trump's Uh, tenure as president, his administration, that he would eventually be impeached. I'm now beginning to believe that there's more of a chance he will not be impeached, not because he doesn't deserve to be. That's the great irony, and and it's so indicative and emblematic of this upside-down world in which we're living. It almost appears as if reality goes in the opposite direction of the facts. The facts are are certainly moving in the direction that he should be impeached and in a rational world should be removed from office. But since we're living in an upside-down world, up is down, down is up, right is wrong, wrong is right, the chances of that happening are, are, I believe, somewhat less than they were a a few months ago. Not because Mueller didn't find anything that was not impeachable, but because the timing of this is all wrong. That's the biggest issue. I always say, as I did in the interview with with Tom, that timing— is everything and expectations are everything. Well, because the Mueller report didn't meet the expectations of some people and because the timing of this is now too much into the administration, too close to the 2020 election campaign, that it will be much more difficult to impeach him than it would have been, let's say, six months ago from a Mm -hmm. timing standpoint. And so I'm not convinced he will be impeached. I think that there's a decent chance that Democrats end up spitting the bit on this, but I don't think it's the right thing to do. Uh, however, I do think there's some other things that, that Democrats could do, and I've, I've discussed this with John Yarmuth, and he even liked one of my suggestions, which I won't share right now, probably in a, in a later edition of the Individual One podcast, uh, about uh, what the Democrats could do either in conjunction with impeachment or if impeachment was not politically viable instead of impeachment. But something has to be done. There has to be something done here to make clear, if only from a historical standpoint, that this is not acceptable. That, uh, you know, frankly— We're better than that! No, well, we're not. But we have to at least pretend that we are. Uh, and this idea that, you know, Rudy Giuliani uh, and others are, are portraying.
1: There's nothing wrong with taking information from Russians.
0: Uh, seriously, folks, I mean, you cannot be serious.
1: You cannot be serious.
0: This is this is just not rational thought from someone who used to be using the word serious, taken very seriously. It was America's maritime magazine person of the of the year after 9-11. I mean, that, that, it's absurd. It's, it's just it's, flat out ridiculous. And, it, it, and to be clear, there's many reasons why it's ridiculous, but the number one is you're inherently compromising yourself against a foreign adversary by doing that. Not to mention that it's ethically wrong, not, to, not informing the FBI immediately, accepting this help, welcoming it, whether or not there was a criminal conspiracy and an agreement with the Russian government is almost beside the point. I urge you, if, if you don't already— To watch the uh, HBO comedy series Veep, that's the one that uh, stars Julia Louis-Dreyfus as uh, a person who was vice president, then briefly became president of the United States. Now, in the last season of the show, uh, Veep, she's running for president again. This is a, uh, a a show that's brilliant from a comedy perspective. But their most recent episode, episode number four, which aired this past weekend, I believe had one of the best depictions of how Trump-Russia collusion probably happened that I've ever heard anywhere. And it's amazing that it comes from a comedy show that was written many, many months before the Mueller report was ever made public. And, you know, basically all you have to do is replace uh, Russia with China and uh, Trump with the uh, Julie Louis-Dreyfus characters campaign And what you basically see is a group of people who were totally incompetent but who figured out that Russia was was pushing events in their direction and welcomed it, may have even facilitated it, planned around it, but didn't make an actual agreement, partially because they were so incompetent and so clueless and the gang that couldn't shoot straight that that never happened. Not to mention that they weren't complete imbeciles. Uh, and we're smart enough to, to not do anything like that could ever that could ever be found, like in an email, which Donald Trump doesn't do in the future. So if you get a chance, check out Veep, especially episode number four, because it's not just hilarious, but I think it's also insightful as to how this thing really did happen. There's so many things about the Mueller report that are worthy of mention. But to me, with regard to collusion, it's it was worse than a lot of us thought. It just wasn't provably criminal. That's not, much, that's not much of a slogan to run on. Not provably criminal <laughs> with regard to conspiring with a foreign adversary. But that's where we are with regard to Trump. And, you know, it will be fascinating to see what Congress does. But, boy, Trump's reaction over the last several days, is it remotely consistent with a guy who really believes he's been exonerated? I mean, folks, he's, he's been going crazy he's been going nuts even by his own standards and, and it's not just you know this spying bs narrative that he's still desperately clinging to uh based upon you know essentially the handwriting on on a, on the wall of a bathroom of a dive bar or a strip bar I mean that's a, that's 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 the level of credibility he of the sources that he's using there in, the, in his tweet today Uh, which the the U.K. uh, spying uh, agencies or intelligence agencies immediately uh, said was, quote, utterly ridiculous, Uh, um, effectively uh, quoting Charles Barkley. It's just flat out ridiculous. And and that's that's our number one ally, our closest ally. This is embarrassing. It's, It's dangerous, but it's also embarrassing. And it's not true. The truth ought to mean something. But I mean, but Trump's meeting with the head of Twitter to complain about losing Twitter followers. What? (laughs) <laughs> what come on you cannot be serious <laughs> this makes me think that stormy daniels might have actually been pretty generous when she denigrated uh, donald trump's uh, penis because i mean you got to have serious penis issues if you're the president of the united states and you're worried about losing a few twitter followers to the point where you're calling in the head of twitter into the oval office Uh, to have a discussion with him about this, which apparently was focused largely on that. That's how incredibly insecure, how unbelievably thin-skinned, how easily distracted, how narcissistic our president is. It's not healthy. And and it's not irrelevant either because it's an an indication of the larger picture that's really happening here. I mean, he's lying constantly. I, I mean, just yesterday... He's saying that he shouldn't be impeached because the stock market is at an all-time high. Uh, Okay, in some regards, the stock market is at an all-time high. Guess when else it was at an all-time high? That's almost at the exact same levels as the stock markets today. 18 months ago. 18 months ago. So let's do some basic math. I know this is difficult for Trump's you know, cult base. I love the poorly educated. All right. So the president is bragging that the the stock market is at a, sort of at an all time high. Some by some measures it is, but it's the same level it was a year and a half ago. That means that over a year and a half, the stock market, which a year and a half is the majority of Donald Trump's presidency, so over a year and a half, the stock market has been static. It has not gone up at all. I mean, within a few. How you know, portions of a percentage point either direction. Then you subtract inflation, which is about, uh, you know, 2% or 3%, depending on where you're living. So by the measure of inflation for the last year and a half, people in the stock market, by and large, over that period of time, which is the majority of the time which Trump has been president, have actually lost money in the stock market. Not a lot, but they've lost to inflation. They would be better if they had put all that money magically, if they knew that this was going to be the way things would go for the next 18 months. They would have been better off in a CD than they are in the stock market. Now, I realize that that's coming after an exceedingly long and dramatic upswing in the stock market. You can do whatever you want with statistics. You know, Mark Twain, there's lies, damn lies and statistics. But the idea that somehow the stock market's going gangbusters and that this is why we should not impeach the president, I'm still not convinced he understands the difference between impeachment and removal, by the way, because he, if he gets impeached, it's a very, 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 very long shot he'll actually be removed. And I continue to believe he would like a large part of the impeachment process, not all of it, because we might find out some stuff he doesn't like, but he would like the battle part of it, the drama part of it, the TV reality show programming element of it. But the idea that because the stock market is, is going tremendously well, the, the, that's why we shouldn't impeach, that's absurd, even by Trump's standards. And this is happening on not just a daily basis. This is happening on a on a multi, multiple times a day basis. And it seems to be getting worse. And it, whether it's because he's unhinged in general or because of the reaction to the Mueller report, or maybe he's getting a little bit nervous. I don't know. But one of the main reasons why he shouldn't be that nervous is, as Tom and I referenced, the Democratic candidates are playing right into his hands, right into his hands by, by allowing this narrative that, well, Trump's horrible, but what would follow him might be worse, especially if you're a political conservative like I am. And we're seeing it constantly. And it's not difficult to understand why. The major candidates for the Democratic Uh, nomination, know that all the energy in that process is going to be on the far left, on the progressive end uh, of the democratic spectrum, the liberal spectrum. And therefore, because those are the people that are most energized, those are the people that are spending the money, uh, those are the ones that are volunteering, those are the people most likely to go out to Iowa and caucus in the middle of a a cold uh, winter night. So they're the ones saying all sorts of crazy things like uh Bernie Sanders saying that the the Boston bomber ought to be allowed to vote or that Kamala Harris saying that if she's president and Congress doesn't pass uh you know strong gun control legislation that she'll do it on her own with executive order obliterating the second amendment or uh Elizabeth Warren saying that she's going to just basically forgive all student loans <laughs> as as a massive giveaway to who? People who are mostly Democratic voters, because younger people, people who are college educated, tend to be Democratic voters, which, uh, you know, the, the idea of massive loan forgiveness is wrong, both morally as well as from a practical standpoint, because there would be consequences to that, unintended consequences to that, that would be grave, that Elizabeth Warren doesn't care about because she's desperate for something that's going to make her relevant again after that disastrous DNA fiasco. Uh, she's also someone who's flirted with reparations, as have other Democratic candidates. Reparations, basically, if you're in favor of reparations for slavery or, or other things like that, you might as well just uh, you, you just say, okay, here's what here's my deal. I want the nomination more than I want to beat Donald Trump. Because if you're in favor of reparations, uh, you, you might as well be handing Donald Trump 5 to 10% of the vote that he might not ordinarily get against a rational candidate. And that might be enough in the Electoral College, not on the national popular vote, which he's going to lose. He's going to lose the national popular vote. But that's not how we decide presidential elections. But in the Electoral College, as Tom Nichols correctly uh, uh, observed... There is a very strong argument that Trump is going to be very difficult to beat, especially considering those who are running against him and who have the best chance of winning the nomination. Now, tomorrow is going to be a pretty significant day in that process because former Vice President Joe Biden, who I've said constantly is the person with the best chance to beat Donald Trump, is expected to officially announce that he's running. So that could change things. I am still very pessimistic that Biden will be able to win that nomination unscathed, and still be able to be in the same position he currently is, to be able to win states like Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Florida, which would ensure his victory from an Electoral College standpoint over Donald Trump. On the positive side, it appears as if he has survived, at least for now, this Me Too issue. I don't know how much damage it's done to him, but it might, underline might, have been good for him to get this out of the way before he even officially announced so he doesn't have to constantly deal with it while on the campaign trail. So with all that being said, with the, the uh, talk of impeachment, frankly, being a little bit more pronounced, a little bit louder than I had anticipated, I think the chances of him being impeached are greater than they were, for instance, the last time we spoke on the Individual One podcast. the Chances of him being removed are still exceedingly remote. But factoring all that in, I'm going to nudge up the chances— Uh, of him not finishing his first term in office to about 5%. And I'm also going to decrease the chances slightly of him being reelected. I still think he is the slightest of favorites, depending on what happens with Joe Biden. But Joe Biden officially getting in does decrease the chances for Donald Trump to be reelected. I'm going to put that at 51%. So again, please, no wagering. But officially, for the Individual One podcast, as we end each podcast, the chances of Donald Trump not finishing his first term in office, 5%. The chances of him being reelected for another term, 51%. Uh, that means that this is uh, the the end of this edition of the Individual One podcast. We'll come to you again on Saturday again, we're not doing it on Sunday this weekend for logistical production reasons. But this coming Saturday, April 27, two thousand nineteen, will be episode number twenty five of the Individual One Podcast. Uh, please remember to subscribe, to rate, review, and share this show via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Individual One Pod. That's Individual the Number One Pod. My name is John Ziegler. Until next time, you're listening to the Global Story Network.